Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello and welcome to Focus, the Catholic Answers podcast for living, understanding and defending your Catholic faith. I'm Cy Kelly, your host. Jimmy Aiken is our guest this time, and we wanted to ask him about astrology. Actually, astrology been around, uh, I guess, about as long as people have been around, but very popular uh, on the Internet. So, uh, Jimmy, thanks very much for being here with us. Hey, my pleasure. We got a little clip we thought we'd uh, uh, play from for you from the Internet. It's, it's not very hard to find astrology clips. And so, uh, uh, Darren, if you want to play that clip and then we'll break it down a little bit and talk about the, what, you know, uh, the history of astrology and also about uh, what does the church teach about how we should approach astrology? The majority of the tarot readers and astrologers on social media. As someone who's a real astrologer who's passed the most difficult certification exam that is offered, I can tell you that most of the astrology content you're consuming is fake. The people behind these accounts are not real astrologers, so I wouldn't take their advice. Wow. So I, I guess we need a... Um... And in, we're going to need some kind of infallible pope of astrology to straighten this out. We've apparently broken down into cliques and groups. Uh, uh, but, uh, Jimmy, that's for what strikes me right there, right off the bat, is uh, she's claiming that she's got the highest certification. Astrology is uh, is what? What is, do people think of it as a science, a religion? What? Well, um, it's. It's commonly understood by people as kind of a hybrid. It both is regarded as a scientific enterprise by people who believe in it, but it's also has a kind of mystical element to it as well. And that clip is interesting um, in that I, I, I think there's an there's a big element of truth in what she says. Uh, most of the many of the people, certainly, who are claiming to give astrological advice are either scammers yeah. who know what they're saying is not true, or they're very poorly trained and are not really putting the work in that one would have to do to do astronomy and to do astrology in a classical way. And um, so I'm not recommending her and her group, but I do agree with yeah. her assertion that extreme caution is warranted here. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I suppose everything that has an element of mystery is going to have charlatans. I mean, we certainly have Christian charlatans. Uh, ministers. Uh, so uh, it will have its charlatans. But I, I I, mean, how would I like the way you just described it? There's a, a classical astrology that you you might look to as a, as a, a kind of standard. I wouldn't even know what standard to apply to astrology. Well, there there's not a single standard. Um, astrology goes quite far back in human history. And undoubtedly, you know, you mentioned all the way through human history. It it really doesn't go what we would think of as astrology doesn't go back that far. OK, uh, I would say it is fair to say that humans have always looked at the sky and when anything unusual has happened, they've taken it as a sign. You right. know, like if if yeah. you're a caveman and an eclipse happens and the sun goes dark in the middle of the day, what do you make of that? I mean, that's a pretty disturbing thing. And yeah. so, you know, people would look at eclipses, both of the sun and the moon, as signs in the heavens. And uh, similarly, comets 
will show up periodically. And a comet is a weird looking star that hangs in the sky for, you know, maybe a few months and then disappears. Comets historically have been regarded as bad omens, um, as a sign that something really bad is going to happen. Um, and then how earthly leaders spin that is um, is always an interesting study. For example, during the during the Roman Empire, uh, there was a comet that appeared, and comets in the ancient world. So the the word um, cometes in Greek it means long haired. So oh. a cometes asteres. So cometes asteres are long haired stars. Yeah, and. Um, so during the Roman Empire, a comet showed up at one point, and normally that would be taken as a sign of disaster or a disaster, incidentally, is from roots that mean bad star, disaster. Oh, right. And so um, so if a bad star shows up, there's going to be a disaster. And political leaders didn't always want to have disasters on their watch. You know, yeah. uh, they kind of want to have a everything's going smooth. We're doing fine. No need to question our governing authority. Right. Kind of approach to stuff. No inflation here. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I got and, Maybe I. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so one, and they did have inflation in the ancient world. Um, and similar things produced it then as do now. But um, one of the one of the Roman emperors, when a comet showed up on his watch, he said, oh, yeah, it is a sign of disaster. But. Not for me. It's the sign of it's a sign of disaster for the Parthian emperor oh. because he's got long hair. Oh, yeah. Very and well done. So nice. He would he would spin it that way. Similarly, when Julius Caesar died, um, a comet was reported to appear and it was interpreted as a good sign. Actually, it was interpreted as Caesar's soul ascending to the gods. Uh-huh. So um, they did get interpreted different ways. But originally, what developed into astrology was a kind of celestial omen reading where something would happen in the sky and you would note what happened on earth. And then the next time the thing happens in the sky, you say, what happened last time? Yeah. And so you weren't like calculating where all the planets were going to be at any given moment. You would just wait for something to happen and then take that as a sign. And that's actually the way Babylonian astrology work. The Babylonians were the ones who came up with the constellations that we use, at least the the constellations of the Zodiac yeah. that we use today. And it was from them that key astrological ideas spread to the Greeks and the Romans and so forth. But in, Bastro, in uh, Babylonian astrology, it was essentially omen based. And so they had and we have their tablets where they, you know, we've dug them up where they talk about this. There are these long lists of what are called planetary omens. So like if um, if Jupiter appears in a certain position, it means wolves are going to attack people on the highways. Mm -hmm. Or if it appears in another position in the sky, it means there's going to be a flood and things like that. And uh, one of the things that the Babylonians were quite concerned with was their king. And in fact, this is true of a lot of early astrology. It doesn't really deal with you as an individual person. It deals with big, important affairs of state, like mm -hmm. battles and how are we going to feed everybody and are there going to be natural disasters and what's going to happen with the king. Yeah. And in uh, Babylonian astrology, one of their signs was if an eclipse occurs and Jupiter is not visible in the sky, then it means the king's going to die. 
And so they had a way of dealing with that. They said, OK, we had an eclipse. Jupiter is not was not in the sky. So this would typically be like a lunar eclipse at night. And um, so our king's going to die. So what do we do? Well, we want to protect our current king. So we need a substitute. And it's very much like the plot of the Mikado from Gilbert and Sullivan. You, you take this condemned criminal and appoint him king. You dress him in kingly robes. You give him kingly food. Meanwhile, you take the previous king and for a hundred days, he gets to be the farmer. And every <laughs> almost no one gets to see him and he doesn't go out of the palace. But all of his officials in their official correspondence refer to him as the farmer. And so we're making it really clear to the gods. This is the new king. He's the one who's going to die. The old king, he's just a farmer. So he's not the target anymore. That's my favorite it, part of it, that we refer to him as the farmer. Yeah. It's such, such a subterfuge. Yeah. So so then in in, a, in up to 100 days, they would uh, the, the new king's time would be up and they would execute him because he was a condemned criminal. And uh, sometimes they may have like let him drink a drug that would put him to sleep in a kind of fatal way. Mm -hmm. um, but then the farmer would suddenly get promoted again and get to be king again. And so that's how they that's how they dealt with the eclipse plus no Jupiter omen. Wow. Then. The uh, the practice of astrology spread to the Greeks and they um, ran with it. Uh, the most famous set of astrological texts was by uh, a philosopher named Claudius Ptolemy, and he wrote four books in Greeks in Greek. Four books is Tetra Biblos. And so his four books of astrology are called the Tetra Biblos. And, and this would be when? About when did this? Oh, happen? this is around the. This is in the first century A.D. Oh, okay. So right around the time of Jesus, and um, a few decades after that, and then it's it's been around in you know ever since then. And it, back in the day, uh, it was part of a standard education. Uh, uh -huh. People would get now a lot of people, most people just had a trade education. You know, you'd become an apprentice to a blacksmith or you'd be a farmer or something like that. But if you were an educated person, you got what was called a liberal arts education. And there were seven liberal arts. You took uh, the first three of them in a unit called the trivium. And it included things like logic and rhetoric and so forth. And then in the then after you completed the trivium, you took another four courses called the quadrivium. And in the quadrivium, you learn music and uh, higher mathematics. You learned um, astronomy. And at the time, astronomy was the same thing as astrology. They were united. They were not distinguished in the ancient world. Right. And so astrology was actually part of a standard liberal arts education that any well-educated person would have. That is fascinating. And I have to say, though, I, I, I would tend to be skeptical of astrology as kind of a just a, a way that as an invented thing. Well, this is how we'll make sense of these strange things that happen in the sky constantly. I, I think as a matter of fact, today, I think many people are not aware of how many strange things happen in the sky because we don't pay attention to the sky anymore. We're, we've got uh, electric lights and TVs and computers. And I, I just think most people have very little exposure to what's going on in the sky. Uh, here's what tempers my skepticism. Okay. The birth of Jesus seems to be predicted mm. astrologically. 
Yeah. So uh, let me deal with that. But first, I want to mention a couple of things that aided this view. Okay. Um, uh, you know, as kind of a counterbalance for like, here's what an ancient person would say to your skepticism. Oh, okay. Great. Um, the the first thing is that um, they believed in a theological worldview. They thought that God or the gods were all throughout nature and that they were communicating with us through nature. So they were sending us signs or omens. And there were skeptics about omens in the ancient world, but they were widely believed in. One of the things that really struck me when I started reading Roman history, like, uh, for example, Suetonius's Lives of the Twelve Caesars, is, wow, look at all these omens they're recording. I mean, for like every emperor, there's a whole bunch of omens that predicted things about him. Yeah. And this is very different than what we read about in the Bible. You know, in the Bible, God does, God communicates through prophets. He doesn't communicate through omens, um, at least not typically. And so um, it, because most people in the Mediterranean world and in the ancient Near East thought that the gods were communicating through omens, it was natural to look at the motions of the, of the planets which means meant for them the sun, the moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, mm-hmm. because those were the five planets. A planet, planetes asteres in Greek is wandering star. And the sun and the moon wander against the background stars or the fixed stars, as they call that, as they're called, that form the constellations. Um, so do Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter and Saturn. And yeah. so those were the seven classical planets, including the sun and the moon. And so it was natural thinking, OK, and they even identified gods with the planets. I mean, that's why Jupiter is called Jupiter. Yeah. Jupiter was the king of the gods. Mars was the god of war. Venus was the goddess of love. Mercury was the messenger. Saturn was another god. So um, it was natural to look to these as communicating information from the gods and the gods ruled our lives. And so it was natural to see the stars as influencing us. The other thing that they would say in rebuttal to your skepticism is obviously the heavenly bodies have an effect here on Earth. I mean, let's look at the big one, the sun. Yeah. Does right. that have an influence here on Earth? Sure. It, yeah. It, it makes it day. It makes crops grow. It does all kinds of things like that. The moon. Similarly, I mean, they didn't know that the moon causes the tides. We know that today. They didn't know that then. Um, but they did see the cycles of the moon as having an effect. And it was natural for them to understand the stars, especially the planets, as also having an effect. So, um, you know, for example, when you plant your crops, when you need to plant your crops is determined by what stars are currently in the sky. There's There's a good season to plant. But if you miss that planting window and different stars are in the sky, your crops are going to fail. And so it was natural for them to see these correlations and then do what lots of people do. Assume that correlation is causation, yeah. that it's not just correlated with what's happening here on Earth, but it's causing what happens here on Earth. Right. I hadn't thought about that, especially in an agricultural society. Watching the sky is actually a really important uh, thing. You would get in the yeah. habit of, of paying very close attention. 
Yeah. And a, a big a famous instance of that is in Egypt, because in Egypt, you know, at least these days, it didn't used to be this way, but these days it's a big desert. And the only fertile land is right around the Nile. Yeah. It's on the banks of the Nile. So you Egypt was a major civilization. You've got all these people to feed. You need your crops to succeed. Yeah. And what would happen in Egypt every year is there would be a melt off occurring farther south in Africa that they didn't know about, and it would cause the Nile to flood. And so in Egypt, they had like three seasons. They had before the inundation where the Nile floods, then they had the inundation where the Nile floods, and then it dries out again. And you needed to time your crop planting to the flooding of the Nile when there would be water to feed your crops. And well, it so happened that the star Sirius would rise every year right before the flooding of the Nile. Oh, so and so yeah. the rising of Sirius was an extremely important thing in in their agricultural cycle and correspondingly in their um, astrono astronomical interpretations as well. Well, uh, then can, can I ask you about the, the prediction of uh, the new uh, king of uh, Israel being born. Like yeah. the, that the, these men from the East, they got it right that their astrology did not lead them astray on that. They were right. Uh, the Christ had been born. They were. And this shows that God can, if he chooses, allow people to see signs in the heavens that will give them information. Now, that's not the same thing as a personal horoscope of, is this a good day for you to go outside or not? Yeah. But the birth of the Son of God is something important enough that God might want to let people see something in the sky that would tell them about this. Now, there's been a lot of speculation about what it is they would have seen. Um, I won't go into the details, but it was probably the planet Jupiter. And it was probably the planet Jupiter doing something unusual in the sky, something that doesn't happen all the time. There have been people who've tried to figure out what that was. There's a famous in um, in academia today, there's a famous proposal made by an astronomer named Michael Molnar, um, which is noticed that in 6 BC on April 17th, there was a very fortuitous horoscope with Jupiter in the sign of Aries. Aries was the sign that was interpreted in Greek astrology as being connected with Israel. And there were a bunch of other things happening that same day that could signal the birth of a great king. And so this is a very popular theory in academia today. There are two problems with it, though. One, it's the wrong year. Jesus was not born in 6 BC. He was born in 3 or 2 BC. Second, this is Greek astrology, and the Magi did not come from the West no. where Greece was. They came from the East. Yeah. So we'd want to look at a different astrological system to say what would they have seen that would have led them to send this this uh, embassy to honor the new Jewish king. Um, well, the most famous uh, and influential system to the east of Israel was the Babylonian system. And there has been some recent work done proposing exactly what they may have seen. It's speculative, but Jupiter did some very interesting things that could signal that the uh, king in the ruler of Babylon would die and that the dynasty in Babylon would change. And you would think that would be a bad thing if you're a Babylonian, but not if you're 
living in the first century because they were under the thumb of the Persian Empire, or the yeah. Parthian Empire. And so they were the, the Mesopotamians, the Babylonians in Iraq were headed by a king in Iran. So they were under the domination of a foreign king. They might want him knocked over. Sure. And there also was a prophecy that a that based on, again, what Jupiter was doing, that uh, their dynasty would be destroyed by a king coming from Amuru. Amuru was their word for the land to the west of where they were. So it's the same root actually as the biblical word Amorite. But this area was under the control of the Roman Empire, except the Roman Empire had created a client king in Herod the Great. And so there was a powerful king in this area at the time. And it would have been natural to say, okay, it's going to be someone from his court. It's going to be one of his descendants, the new king of the Jews, who's going to be this deliverer of ours. And the Babylonian um, uh, texts actually talk about sending a peace embassy to 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 uh, between the king of Amuru and Babylonians to make friends. And that could have been exactly what inspired them to go west and seek the new king of the Jews. So uh, as a Catholic, then, how am I to think about astrology? Does the church have a teaching? Does the church have a set of teachings about astrology? How am I supposed to make sense of this? It's very down through the ages. Now, one of the things that the faith teaches is that we have free will. So we can control our destinies. We decide what we're going to do. We decide, are we going to sin? Are we going to not sin? We decide, if are we going to repent? Are we going to not repent? And thus we decide, are we going to go to heaven or hell? And so one of the things that Christianity has always been concerned with in regard to astrology is not adopting a fatalistic view of it. So in the Middle Ages, you had um, people like St. Thomas Aquinas saying there are some things that astrologers can genuinely predict because of the influence of the stars on things like the weather. So they could predict storms and so forth. You could potentially, you know, use astrology to find out when a storm is going to occur. Also, um, you could predict large scale phenomena involving many people, because even though the stars are having an influence on us, um, and an individual might make the choice to resist that influence, large bodies of people probably won't. They'll probably go along with the influence the stars are having. And so you could also predict things like wars, you know, where you have two large-scale groups of people start fighting each other. Aquinas would say you could use astrology to predict a war. What you could not do was use astrology to predict the fate of individuals because they've got free will. You could say, okay, well, this guy has a certain temperament and the stars are going to cause that temperament to flare up. So he's going to be feeling like extra cranky someday. It won't tell you exactly what he's going to do, but you could get a probabilistic estimate of what the guy is going to do, because most people, according to Aquinas, don't resist their baser passions. And so Mm -hmm. if the stars are stirring up someone's baser passions, odds are he's going to go with those base passions and and act accordingly. So this was well received, um, you know, throughout 
a large chunk of Christian history. There were Christians who totally dismissed astrology, but there were also ones who who worked with the science of their day, which seemed to influ- indicate the stars have an influence, and and they tried to understand it from a Christian perspective that incorporated free will. Eventually, the scientific revolution began. And that started, you know, in the 16 and 1700s. And with the scientific revolution, we started finding uh, there were a couple things. One of them, we introduced a new methodology where we would more rigorously test predictions. And if you rigorously test astrological predictions, they don't have that great a success rate. Okay. Also, also, we started discovering the forces of nature, um, like gravity. Even though people knew things fall down, they didn't understand it in terms of a force that causes them to fall down. In Aristotelian physics, things seek their natural place in the universe. And so Earth being the heaviest element, well, it all comes down to the lowest point in the universe, and that's the planet Earth. And as you move up from the planet Earth, things get lighter and lighter. But they didn't have a con- the concept of there's a force that causes any two objects that have mass to approach each other. Right. In fact, Aristotelian physics forbade that concept. Um, that was action at a distance where one thing could yeah. could affect something else even across a vacuum. And they also didn't like vacuums. But um, when Isaac Newton proposed the law of gravity, uh, he was actually accused of introducing a concept from what was called natural magic, meaning hidden forces in the universe, occult principles. Occult just means hidden. Uh, So he was accused of proposing this magical concept where somehow two distant objects can influence each other with no medium in between them. And um, and so gravity, you know, people looked at it kind of skeptically at first, but his formulas worked so well that um, eventually people got over the spookiness of the spooky action at a distance that gravity had. Then we discovered uh, that electricity and magnetism are the same thing. So we have electromagnetism. In the 20th century, we also discovered the strong and weak nuclear forces that operate on the subatomic scale. They're what control how protons and neutrons stick together. Mm -hmm. That's the strong force. And also the weak force is is, uh, it controls radioactivity. And so we have these four fundamental forces. We've got the strong and the weak on the subatomic scale. And then on a larger scale, we have electromagnetism and gravity. So if these are the only four known forces. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How How would the planets have an influence on us? Right. Because they're so far, gravity is the weakest of all the forces. Yeah. Um, it's it, People may be surprised by that, but it's actually true. Um, the thing that holds objects together here on Earth, like your body or your laptop or your automobile, that's not gravity. That's the electromagnetic force that causes atoms to stick together into molecules. Um, so... Obviously, we're not under electrical influence from the planets. The, there's a tiny bit of gravity, but it's not going to it's not going to control our destiny. Um, you know, so right. the basis of astrology, the idea that the planets were influencing us lost credibility 
in the 19th and 20th centuries, and and consequently, astrology has fallen on hard times scientifically. Okay, so um, the and, and I so what I'm gathering then, at least the way you described that history, is that um, the church is the was open to. Well, maybe these forces are doing this. You know, maybe this is something we should attend to as evident. I mean, it just seems like it's oh, following yeah. there, the evidence. There, there, in other words, there were there were popes who used astrologers, and they were yeah. just following the science of their day. Right. But the science has changed. The science, despite what you may hear some American presidents say, is never settled. It's science, properly speaking, is always open to new evidence. Sure. And the new evidence that emerged cast a lot of doubt on uh, the basis of astrology. And so today, if you look in the catechism of the Catholic Church, it warns people against using horoscopes. And, you know, I think that's entirely reasonable, especially the ones you see in newspapers. Yeah. It's just bunk. I mean, it, you, you're you're dividing up the entire population into twelve groups of people. Yeah, and there's it it it's it, a lot of times you don't have so much predictions as advice in those columns, and if you do get predictions, they're very unreliable. Yeah. So so I can't recommend that people consult astronomy. I would consult astrology. I'm sorry. Right. At least not the normal way. Uh Oh, all right. So uh, what does that mean, Jimmy? Pregnant pause. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so it turns out that there have been studies now these days, astrology, and this is this is unique to the way astrology is done in the West. Um, but these days, astrology is largely done in terms of what are called sun signs. Your sun sign is the constellation that the sun is in when you are born. Oh, yeah. And so, like, if if the sun is in Leo, when you're born, you're a Leo. If the sun is in Scorpius, when you're born, you're a Scorpius, and so forth. And that's, now, there's loads of other things in astrology than just that. But that's what people see in the newspapers, sure. you know, because they yeah. there's no way in a newspaper to go into all kinds of technical calculations. So they go with the simple 12 sun sign system. Well, there have been some studies done of when people are born in the year and does that have an effect on their life outcomes? Huh. Like, do they um, do they Do they hit puberty early or late? Do they get more or less schooling? Do they have depression or schizophrenia? And the answer is, yes, it does matter what time of year you're born. And so it turns out now I'm going to read this uh, to you first, and then I'm going to talk about why this happens. And by the way, this would all be reversed in the Southern Hemisphere. But here in the Northern Hemisphere, based on the studies that have been done, when it comes to physical factors, people born in Gemini, Cancer, and Leo enter puberty later, but they end up a bit taller. Conversely, Capricorns, Aquarii, and Pisces enter puberty earlier but they end up a bit shorter than average. When it comes to education, 
Virgos, Libras, and Scorpios tend to get more education and more college-level degrees, while Gemini's, Cancers, and Leos tend to... uh, tend to not have as much education. Now, part of that is also affected by the beginning of the school year. Yeah, yeah, that makes but sense. That, but, but the beginning of the school year is not going to tell you, do you get an advanced college degree? Right. So there's still another effect here, even when you even when you account for the beginning of the school year. When it comes to psychological conditions, Scorpios and Sagittariuses, and especially Capricorns, are the most likely to develop schizophrenia while Aries, Cancers, and Libras are the least likely. Also, Capricorns, Aries, and Cancers are the most likely to develop bipolar disorder, while Geminis, Leos, and Virgos are the least likely. And finally, Capricorns, Aries, and Tauruses, and Geminis are the most likely to have depression, while Cancers, Leos, Virgos, and especially Scorpios are the least likely to have depression. So now all of that statistical, you know, even yeah. if you're a Capricorn, it doesn't mean you're going to get schizophrenia. It just means you have a slightly higher chance of it. But these effects seem to be real. But so I, the question is, what causes them? That's the thing is like, I, I, that's interesting when you say that, because you could see how uh, you could start to develop over time a sense that cancers are a certain kind of people and attribute that to the sun sign but it could just be the opposite the sun sign is just telling you what time of year that person was born and the time of year you're born has effects in your life you you could propose that i'm proposing it do you think i'm correct or up to a point lord copper (laughs) i hate it when you Um, say that Um, so you notice I said that you have to reverse all of those sun signs for the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. Well, that's because they experience summer when we experience winter and vice versa. Yeah. And what determines whether it's summer or winter is the axial tilt of the Earth with respect to the sun. It's the sun that is responsible for these differences. And the reason the sun is responsible for these differences is because we humans use sunlight to make vitamin D. Our skin converts sunlight into or converts yeah. sunlight into vitamin D, to put it concisely. And um, and that's, for example, that's why white people are white, because their ancestors grew up in northern Europe. The sun is hitting the earth at a shallower angle. They don't get as much sunlight. And so their skin needed to be lighter in order for them to get the vitamin D yeah. that they needed from the sunlight. If you're at the equator, though, um, the sunlight's hitting the earth straight on. So you're getting a lot of it and you can actually need extra protection from all that from sun. the sunlight yeah. so that your skin doesn't burn. So people there have darker skin. OK, well, what happens then during winter at a high northern latitude when a woman is pregnant? Yeah. She's getting less sunlight. The days are shorter. It's striking at an oblique angle. She's getting a lot less sunlight. She's getting a lot less vitamin D. And that means her unborn baby is getting less vitamin D. Vitamin D is involved in human growth and development. And that means her baby is going to develop differently 
than if she was pregnant in the middle of summer when the days are long and she's getting a lot more sunlight. And so it's really the effect of vitamin D on unborn babies as they're developing in the womb that determines these outcomes. And so it's true here. The sun does have an effect. Your sun sign actually tells you at least a statistically tiny little thing about some of your life, some of your life outcomes are going to be. But that doesn't justify reading a sun sign horoscope in the newspaper. No, uh, right. And I always think of the in one of Walker Percy's novels, there's one where the guy is reading the wrong one and he thinks that is exactly right about me. And then he realizes he's reading the wrong one, reads the right one, the one that corresponds to him. And he goes, Oh, that's exactly right about me as well. <laughs> like there, mm-hmm. you, you, you're, you just, uh, I well, guess they, yeah. they write, they write them deliberately that yeah. way to fit almost anybody. Yeah. So, um, I, I guess we got to wrap up pretty soon, but I, I do mm-hmm. want to suggest this. I, I, I think a lot of people, um, because there are biblical, um, uh, commands against certain practices like necromancy, Mm-hmm. And 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 some other of, of these kind of what you might call occult or hidden practices. I think many people would assume, well, astrology must be one of those. So aren't I supposed to just shun astrology because the Bible forbids it? But I, I am gathering that we're um, reading if too- the Bible. Yeah. If the Bible contained an explicit prohibition on astrology, it never would have been used by by Christians or Jews. Um, but it doesn't. What it contains is a is prohibition on worshiping the stars as gods. Uh, And so don't worship the stars as gods. But beyond that, it doesn't tell us what influence they may or may not have. That's a matter actually for scientific investigation. And uh, in some cases, like with the sun signs and vitamin D, well, our star does have an effect, but it's not a big one. And the other planets in our solar system, it's there's a much harder case to figure out how could they have any influence. And the predictions tend not to work. But historically, so in Judaism, there's a saying, Ein Mazel le Israel, which means there is no fate in Israel. And what that means is God controls the destiny of the Israelites, it's not like fate. It's not from the stars. And so Judaism kind of followed a similar path to Christianity in accepting from the science of the day, the idea that the stars had some influence, but not enough to determine people's fates. And they articulated it a little bit differently than Christians did, but they had the same basic idea. But as science has progressed, it's become harder and harder to maintain the idea that the stars and particularly the planets have these kind of influences over our lives. Well, uh, Jimmy, thank you so much. I never would have guessed when we started talking about astrology that we'd end up on vitamin D. (laughs) It's funny uh, how things go around. Thank you so much, Jimmy. My pleasure. My pleasure. 